Hello, Remote Start Nation, and welcome to Remote Start, the podcast for the individual who wants to start a business, build a lifestyle brand, and do it all while living the lifestyle they desire. Our goal is to help you take that idea, skill, or passion and turn it into a profitable, scalable business that thrives within your community. I'm Jim Doyon, your host, and I am on a mission along with special guests to help you understand yourself, the lifestyle you truly want from your business, and what it takes to start and scale it through systems and creating a sought-after brand. Regardless of the industry or where your small business is at in its growth stage, Remote Start is packed with lessons, stories, and the do's and don'ts of how to get where you want. So my simple question to you, what are you ready to start? If it's in business, branding, or lifestyle, then start it now and join the Remote Start Nation. Without further ado, let's get this show started. What is up, Remote Start Nation? Let's get something started. I'm Jim Doyon, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Remote Start, where I bring you stories and strategies on how to start a business, build a brand, and create your desired lifestyle. On today's episode, we're going to be discussing starting a business as a real estate fund manager. And in order to do so, I brought on founder and managing partner, Eric Hayden of Urban Catalyst. Urban Catalyst is a real estate equity fund focused on ground-up development projects in downtown San Jose, California. As a brand, they've positioned themselves in a a unique way as they focus not only on being fund managers, but they also are local developers. So, Remote Start Nation, today I'm looking forward to Eric sharing with us topics such as starting a real estate fund, why he chose real estate in San Jose, how to raise money, and how that applies to other industries, and what kind of projects his team focuses on. So without further ado, let's get started. Eric, welcome to the Remote Start Nation. Jim, I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Excited to have you, and I, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day. And you know, before we get started, I kind of I want to let the Remote Start Nation know that you know Eric and I were introduced by a fellow friend, Jeff Greenman. Um, has a great story about becoming an entrepreneur and is one of the very, in fact, the first person that I interviewed for the Remote Start podcast. So if you get a minute, Remote Start Nation, go back, listen to the first couple episodes, listen to Jeff. And uh, yeah, I'm glad he put us in touch. So with that said, uh, Eric, tell Remote Start Nation about Urban Catalyst. Sure. So, you know, Urban Catalyst, we are a real estate equity fund. We are focused on ground up development in downtown San Jose. Uh, we're currently raising our second fund. It is an Opportunity Zone fund. Uh, opportunity Zone funds, they give additional tax benefits to our investors. Uh, and of course, one of the rules of being an Opportunity Zone fund is that you have to do either ground up development or do large renovations. At least those are two of the easier ways to make the program work. So it fit right in with our experience as you know, local developers to be able to uh, utilize this type of fund structure to finance our projects. So how did Urban Catalyst start? So I've been a developer my entire career. And in general, I build large institutional quality and scale projects. And that's just kind of a fancy way of saying I build big projects, uh, you know, big apartment buildings, office buildings. A typical exit strategy is, you know, selling out to a publicly traded REIT or to a large institutional equity group. So I've been doing that for a long time here in the Bay Area, a lot of focus in Silicon Valley and in San Jose. 
Uh, right before I started Urban Catalyst, I was the president of a company called Zarshan America. Zarshan doing a large uh, master plan in downtown Oakland, California, uh, 3,100 residential units on 64 acres on the Oakland waterfront. So I was doing that big project, uh, managing our teams, building buildings, and I was really inspired on a trip to China. Zarshan's a Beijing-based company, and I went and toured all of their uh, projects in China. They are located in nine cities, and they build 7,000 condos a year, which wow. in the United States would make them like the equivalent of the Irvine company. But in China, it makes them nobody. They're teeny tiny. They're like a boutique builder. But I was touring all over like Inner Mongolia, and I really got struck with the fact that I really wanted to start my own company that it was great that I could rise to being the president of these big development companies, but uh, I needed something more in my life. So I decided to start Urban Catalyst. That, that trip was in August of 2018. And I even remember, uh, we mentioned our mutual friend, Jeff Greenman. I called Jeff from China and said, "Wow, I'm, I'm gonna do something. And I, I know it's gonna be around downtown San Jose because of the overall market forces showing me that downtown San Jose was the place to build buildings. Uh, and then of course, when, whenever you're a developer, there are really three things you need to successfully build projects. The first thing you need is you need money to do your projects. You need lots of money. These projects, even before we go out and get, you know, the bank loans to build the buildings, we need about 10 to $20 million per project. So you need money to do your projects. You need, uh, somebody to write a personal guarantee on those senior debt loans. You know, if I want to go out and get a $50 million loan, and some of my loans, for example, we're looking in the range of like $250 million, the banks want you to have about 10% of that in liquidity. So a $100 million loan, you need $10 million in liquidity. So just cash in your bank account. And you need to have about 50% of the loan amount in total net worth. So I need to have $50 million in net worth. And by the way, this is why... Most development companies, it's either a family office where you've got some, you know, billionaire behind you, or it's a large company, like a public yeah. trade. Uh, the last thing that you need to be successful is you need control. So how do you combine all of those things? I'd spent my whole career working for these, you know, billionaire folks, and they had all the control. They wrote the guarantees and they had the money. I thought, well, if I start a real estate equity fund, the fund will provide me with the money. The fund will provide me with the guarantee and I will stay in control. And so that is what we decided to do. It coincided right at the time that the Opportunity Zone program came out. So I knew we wanted to be in San Jose. I knew that that was my experience. Uh, building off of your experience is really important, especially when you're fundraising. Right. So I knew it was going to be in San Jose. And in downtown San Jose, right at that time in April of 2018, so a few months before I formed Urban Catalyst, they had designated all of downtown San Jose as an Opportunity Zone. It was a brand new program. Nobody even really knew what it meant. <clears throat> I knew it meant tax advantages, but <clears throat> even in a more concrete way, I knew it meant that we would be different. Now, raising your first fund is really a challenge because yeah. most folks, if you think of like, how does Blackstone raise money? How does Carlisle raise money? They do it from sovereign wealth funds, pension funds, endowment funds, you know, family office, uh, insurance companies, these huge groups. If I went to any of those groups and said, hey, give me $100 million, all of them would be like, yeah, get lost. Yeah. <laughs> so that knocks you down a couple pegs. 
and you get yeah. into what is called the retail fundraising world. In the retail fundraising world, you raise money directly from individual investors. And almost, I'd say like 95% of the retail fundraising world, uh, they raise them through broker dealers and registered investment advisors, utilizing what most people refer to as wealth managers. You know, everybody has somebody that advises them on how they do their investments. So those wealth managers all work for companies. If you can get on the platforms of those companies, they will sell your product, which is great. Now, when I first started Urban Catalyst, I called all the best broker dealers out there and said, I want to be on your platform. I have an opportunity zone fund. It's going to be great. And they all went, who are you? You and everybody yeah. else. First time fund manager. Yeah, we don't we don't put those on our platform. Thank you very much. And so, so that's let's, stop. Let, let's look at that for a second. So yeah. You you call Jeff. You're like, hey, I, I you're one of the you're one of the people I'm talking to about wanting to start my own thing. He he gives you some advice. Then what what were kind of the next steps that you took before having to you know start to call some of these other funds and oh, say, yeah. hey, can so the first thing I had to do is I had to realize how much money I needed to do this because I knew I needed a team. I knew I needed office space. I knew I needed to be able to pay some salaries for at least a certain period of time. Yeah. Initially, I thought, I need a team of five. And in my team of five, I'm going to need about a million to a million and a half bucks. Jeff was one of my first investors. And I had several other, mainly friends and family. Friends and family investors are great because they're investing because they believe in you. They right. don't even necessarily look at like what the risk is or the failure rate of first-time fund managers. They, they say, you're going to be successful because we know you. And I, I like that. It also gives extra pressure on you. This right. is your friend, family. You're going to do everything. You're going to move heaven and earth to make sure that they can get their money back and make the profit that you say they're going to make. So did you go to them with a business plan and, and a proposal or was it a conversation that just said, Hey, listen, I want to do this here. I am. I'm asking you first because I know you believe in me and, and take that route. Yeah. It was more like that because uh, business plans are, they take a long time to write and they make you think about what you're doing. Right. But at the same time, I have found that business plans change radically in the first like six months of a new company. It's like you go in thinking, okay, here's what we're going to do. And then as you learn more and more and you explore and you fail, you go, oh, I need a change to do this. Okay, we should be doing this. So at Urban Catalyst, our first thing was <clears throat> I need the best developers in downtown San Jose on my team. So I brought two partners on to do that. Nice. Then I realized I wouldn't be raising money through broker dealers. I needed to raise money directly from individual investors, which is not very common. It's, it's I'll call it significantly less common than raising through wealth managers. Why is that? So, uh, the SEC only allowed uh, this type of, um, I'll take a step back. You know how you might have a friend or two that is buying real estate and they'll say, hey, I'm putting together a little syndicate of folks. We're going to go buy this building. Maybe it's like yeah. four or five. That's kind of like the basis of what retail fundraising is. Okay. Now, the SEC, they, they, they want you to register with them if you're doing that, but they're not going to care if it's some of your friends and it's four people. You know, they, they really care if it starts getting over like 100 people. Okay. But, uh, they only allowed raising from direct individuals through what is called the Regulation D506C program about 10 years ago. Okay. And it was really not popular. It was not a popular program. 
because the people that were raising money this way is like, well, we've been raising money through these wealth managers forever. It's really easy. We have a whole system. Why would we go out and raise direct? Yeah. This is also what, you know, you saw like uh, the crowdfunding world startup with crowdsource and uh, Kickstarter and Kickstarter and all that. That's yeah. all 506C, right? They can raise directly from individuals. Okay. So same right? just applied to real estate. It's the same. Yeah. And I mean, there's a million different ways people raise money for everything, venture capital, uh, you know, lots of different tax advantage strategies, historic tax credits, conservation easements, below market rate housing tax credits, all sorts of ways to raise money for, uh, well, through this channel. Okay. So I, I knew I needed someone to help me raise money in this type of system. And I didn't know exactly the system I needed to create because I'd focused my whole career on real estate, never on marketing or sales. Yeah. So I brought in one of my best friends from high school uh, and he was working in New York and I had a meeting with him. Well, it was more of like, we we're just catching up for lunch. He was like one of the groomsmen in my wedding. Cool. Uh, I said, I need you to come and work with me. I know that you know what to do. He goes, I don't know anything about real estate. I've never raised a <laughs> man. I said, it has to be the same thing. I said, yeah. you can create a marketing strategy to generate leads we can build a sales team to close the leads and that's how we'll raise money. And he said, okay, well, I guess we'll figure it out. And he came over and we started working together. And in the beginning, it was just us. And now we have these big teams. I think we have about 40 people that work at Urban Catalyst now. Most of them are in sales or marketing. That's we do awesome. have a nice size development team too. We have about 15 people on that team. But um, yeah, so first steps were, you know, that, that's, well, that's why I say you can have a business plan, but right. my business plan was hire the right people that know what they're doing to help you create what you want to create. That's find your weaknesses, get the people that know how to take those and turn them into strengths, right? Like build around their strengths. Absolutely. And then the next thing I figured out is that a million and a half bucks wasn't even close to the amount of money. I did. <laughs> it was like five million bucks. Wow. And so I went out I brought on one more partner who is an attorney. He's our general counsel. He's also an expert in accounting and administration and the SEC and compliance and all that. So the five partners, we started out, I think we had two employees when we first started and we went out and our first thing that we did was we started utilizing Google AdWords to do, uh, to do our marketing. And this was a really great thing because opportunity zones were so brand new. We, at that time and to this day in the state of California are still the number one search term on Google. If you type opportunity zone fund, urban catalyst nice. right at the top. And that is our number one fundraising source of well, lead generation. But in the beginning, we didn't know if it was going to work or not. Yeah. And my, my partner Morgan says, Eric, so it takes like two to three years to build up a digital marketing platform to get a circular feedback loop going and understand exactly where you should be spending your money. I said, that's too long. Right. We're raising a hundred million dollars this year. So how do we do that faster? He says, Oh, well, there's only one way to do it faster. And it's to spend a ridiculous amount of money in the <laughs> beginning and keep it up until you figure out, he goes, you got to fail faster. And I said, how much are we talking? And he said, I think we should spend $250,000 a month on Google AdWords. <laughs> and I wow. Went, Whoa. And that is exactly what we did. And we still, to this day, spend between one hundred and fifty dollars and $250,000 a month on Google AdWords. 
And that is, that is the way you are raising money. That's the way you're get, generating leads, right? I would say that Google AdWords by themselves is about 25% of our fundraising. Okay. And then the other 25% is now through, you know, a variety of channels, you know, podcasts like this, um, LinkedIn. We do a lot of YouTube retargeting, a lot of digital marketing, Facebook, LinkedIn, or Facebook, uh, Instagram. Uh, then we have a lot of organic traffic. One of the nice things about being a developer is we're always in the news. Every time we get an approval for one of our big buildings here in San Jose, and right now uh, we're building nine buildings in downtown San Jose. So okay. we're like the fourth largest developer in downtown now, which is kind of exciting. Congratulations. That's, that's huge. Yeah, well, when you're building that much stuff, I, I think we've been in 250 newspaper articles. So there was a while there where I was in the San Jose Business Journal every other week for over a year straight. That's a lot of press. That's a lot of press. And when you get a lot of press, um, you, know, you start getting organic traffic. And then you start getting yeah. word of mouth traffic. And then we started building up, you know, right now, between our two funds, our first fund, we closed it in December of 2020. We raised 131 million. In our second fund, it's a $200 million fund. We just, we're just about to hit 100 million. We're at like 98 million in that fundraise. We have over 700 investors. And now those 700 investors, over 20% of them have reinvested. That's so huge. now we have a big, we call it our customer success team that reaches out to our existing investors. Cause you know what they say? is who are the best new investors? The investors that have already invested. Yeah. Especially and, if, you, if they were happy with the first one it's a, it's, and take care of them, it's easy to get back in, right? Right. So now our direct team, our direct sales team using you know, Google AdWords and whatnot, they raise a little over 25%. Our customer success team raises about 25%. And then utilizing broker dealers and registered investment advisors, which after we raised our first 50 million, they started calling us <laughs> like, Hey, we saw you on every list and every report that we look at in our industry. And we want to, we want to work with you. Now, were these the same ones that you went to when you first started and they said, Hey, no, thank you. That's exactly who they were. And in the beginning, you know, we got kind of like the, the worst of the worst. Yeah. But then as time went on, we started getting the better groups and the better groups, the better groups. We're still not on. Like if, if I was in this channel and I was like, uh, you know, the most established group out there. Uh, and there's another company called Bridge. They have tons of uh, different types of funds, but they have opportunity zone funds. And Bridge, they're just like, yeah, we raise about a billion dollars a year. Uh, we're on Morgan Stanley's platform, Merrill Lynch, UBS. You know, they, we have to tell them to stop raising us money. It's, it's going so fast. And they just raise it from their own institutional client group and that's it. So that's like the, everybody on your list is A plus. We're still yeah. kind of in that B to C world where okay. it's the smaller groups. Like and I only say B to C because like, I'll say a C is just like less than 50 advisors on their platform. B might be like less than 150 advisors on their platform. Where if you're an A group, you have 500 plus. There are some groups like, uh, like Ameritrade has like 20,000 advisors, right? If you get on Ameritrade's platform, you can sell out your entire fund in you know two months. Is that something that is a long-term goal of yours, or are you pretty happy with where you're at now and and generating you know through the channels you are? Well, it's it's interesting, right? And there's a lot of opinions on this. You know, I mentioned the three things you need: the money, the guarantee, and the control. Yeah. 
when you get onto the A platforms, you start using UBS, Morgan Stanley, you're now, uh, you're now giving up that control. Got it. A lot of that control because they want to own you. They want to yeah. make sure your money is going to work the right way. And so they get major decision-making authority over some aspects of your business. And a lot of times, especially in development, you have to be really nimble. You have to be able to change. You have to be able to make financial choices that you know may seem a little bit odd at the time, but they're in the best interest of your investors because giving great returns to your investors is the only thing that you have to do to stay in business. I like right. uh, uh, Steve Schwartzman from BlackRock said, there's only one rule for fund managers, don't lose money. <laughs> it seems so simple, but there are so many groups that don't follow that, just that one rule. Yeah. So when you give up that control, yeah, you can raise money as fast as you want. In fact, I've talked to the CEO of Bridge and he's like, yeah, we had to tell him to slow down because we just didn't have enough good product. Right now we're raising money plenty fast for the product that we have. We have that control. We, we like the groups that we're working with. So we're very happy. Will it be that five years from now, maybe I go up into that kind of upper echelon of the retail fundraising or, you know, five years from now, after I have three or four successful funds under my belt, do I just say, hey, I'm just going to call the California Teachers Pension Fund. I'm just going to call yeah. the Yale Endowment Fund. And they're just going to give me a billion dollars each. That's all I need. Why, why am I going to bother using Google AdWords and a, uh, a whole team of people? Why do I need 25 people raising my money? I could do it in two phone calls. Right. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think I'm going to stay right where I am because I like it here. And I, I, I like the control. I like the people. I like what, what I can do here. So, and that's, I mean, that's huge to be happy and, and everybody in the company be on the same train of this is where we're headed and, and this is the, the growth that we want to see and continue with the control we have. Um, so let's go back for a second to, you know, you, you're in the position, you're, you're raising funds. Did you know right away San Jose was going to be where you wanted to, to, to start this business or, you know, were you kind of still having thoughts of where you should start developing? You know, I knew it was going to be San Jose and I knew it for a couple of reasons. Uh, the first is, and I love talking with my investors about the San Jose market. I, I might be San Jose's biggest spokesman in America. <laughs> I even I tell the mayor that sometimes like there is nobody that says nice things about San Jose more than I do, but San Jose in Silicon Valley, they like to call themselves the capital of Silicon Valley, but they're really not. They've always been somewhat left behind, you know, Mountain View, Palo Alto and Menlo Park right next to Stanford, that is the center of the Silicon Valley universe. Yeah. And, you know, those aren't very big cities. They're about 15 miles away or 20 miles away from downtown San Jose. So they're not that far away. It's just the companies, when you think of, especially the big ones, Google, Facebook, Apple, you know, those three companies, that's where they are. Well, yeah. Apple's in Cupertino, but Cupertino is also about 15 miles away. So as those companies have grown and expanded over the last 20 years, you know, they've moved their office footprints as they've expanded all over the world, all over the country. But in Silicon Valley, we've seen this slow migration southward, specifically into the city of Sunnyvale. Sunnyvale still had some undeveloped land. Development for over the last decade has just been going gangbusters. Uh, and here's kind of like the scale of that. Right now in the city of Mountain View, Google occupies 95% of the office space in the entire city. 
And in wow. the city of Cupertino, Apple occupies 85% of all of the office space in the entire city. And now in the city of Sunnyvale, Google and Apple combined are more than 50% of the office space. Wow. I mean, 20 years ago, Google was a startup and .com, everybody was like, oh yeah, I remember pets.com. Yeah. Everybody was connecting through the internet to with AOL. You know, Google was nothing. Facebook didn't exist. So now these companies are enormous. They are bigger than all the, the five largest companies have more office space than all the other companies combined. Uh, Sunnyvale, the beneficiary of that is now completely built out. The next city, as you continue southward, is the city of Santa Clara. Santa Clara has seen a lot of growth, but they don't uh, really have that much undeveloped space. And so that really leaves downtown San Jose. And when I started Urban Catalyst, I'd say, and where's the next logical place these companies are going to go? They're going to go yeah. to downtown San Jose. And with the jobs that they bring to downtown San Jose, that's going to require housing. It's going to require hotels, senior living, student housing for San Jose State. They're going to need all of these things. And now I can just say Google or, or Apple and Microsoft have taken big land holdings in San Jose. Amazon has opened an office in downtown Google is the biggest story ever. They've acquired over 80 acres worth of property. They've spent more than $500 million on that acquisition. And the plans that they had approved at city council last year show them building 7 million square feet of office and 6,000 residential units. I build out this will be Google's largest campus on earth. So you guessed so, right. Well done. <laughs> I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even call it yet. I mean, you can just kind of read the, you can read yeah. them and be like, oh, well, where are they going to, where else are they going to go? As long as the Silicon Valley economy is strong, these companies are going to need to expand. And in 2021, it was a banner year in Silicon Valley. It might've been the best year in history where these companies hired like crazy tech salaries went up 30%. Uh, we saw more venture capital funding than any year in history, both by dollar amount and by percentage versus the rest of the country. Uh, we had 94 companies become unicorns, you know, private companies traded at over a billion dollars. And we had more companies go public than any year going all the way back to the dot-com. So it was just an amazing year last year. Obviously this year, the stock market isn't doing so well and tech's kind of leading that downturn. But overall, we, we've been so call it blessed with a strong economy here in the tech sector for the last 20 years that this isn't really hurting us all that bad. Yeah. So, and, and with that, you would kind of hit on some of the projects that you do, um, you know, the, with your current project that you're raising funding for, what are some of the, the plans for that? Sure. So our, our first fund was six projects. Uh, we had two mixed use office buildings, um, we had one 200-unit apartment complex and 165 key extended state business hotels and Marriott Town Place Suites. We have a 167-unit senior living facility that is uh, assisted living and memory care. And then we have a 1,000-bed student housing high-rise next to San Jose State. Nice. So we've started construction on two of those six projects. We're going to start another two this year, and the last two will start next year. Okay. Um, so that's moving right along as planned. In our second fund... We have two buildings. They're right next door to each other. They're called Icon and Echo. Icon is a 500,000 square foot office high rise. Echo is a 400 unit multifamily apartment building. It's also a high rise. Those are the only two projects in that fund. So that's what we're raising the 200 million to finance. Okay. And then let's talk about future plans. Are, are you going to stay in San Jose or another fund on the line? What's, what, what are you thinking? 
you know, ground up development is really a challenge, right? If you think of it versus the acquisition of existing real estate assets, it's significantly more risk. And so in general, we have to provide significantly higher returns to have that risk adjusted return. But for me, when I look at development, I think of it as I'm an expert in San Jose. I have a team that is the all-star team of downtown San Jose developers. This is where I know how to do business. And when I have problems, I know we can solve them here. I yeah. don't know if I'm going to be able to solve those in Seattle or Denver or you know Austin, Texas. Um, so we're going to continue when we do ground development, doing it here, because this is you know where we've been doing business. We've been very successful. We plan to continue doing business. However, as a fund manager and with our success in the retail fundraising space, we have decided to expand our fund platform. And we're doing another couple types of funds right now. Uh, the first type of fund that we're doing is called a bridge fund, and it is an interval fund. It's a debt equity fund. So it's kind of like if you invest with us, we give you a certain return per year. Uh, it's real estate related. And what we're using that fund for is to acquire existing real estate assets. Then we take those assets, we put them into what is called the Delaware Statutory Trust, which is the other okay. type we're starting. Delaware Statutory Trusts are also a tax advantage type of fund. You could think of them like um, if you had a 1031 exchange that you wanted to do, which most people do when they sell real estate, uh, because you don't have to pay capital gains taxes. You don't have to you know, pay back your depreciation recapture. So what they do is they sell their building and buy a building with uh, equal or greater value. Okay. Uh, a Delaware Statutory Trust allows investors to have their 1031 exchange satisfied by investing into my fund. So it's a 1031 exchange fund syndicate. That's kind Got of it. a technical way to say it. They're very popular in the retail fundraising market. Uh, this year, they're projected to raise around $10 billion worth of DST funds. We're coming out with our first fund in about 90 days. It's a $27 million cash only fund. And when I say cash only, that means when you sell your property, uh, you can't have debt because you also have to roll the debt. So cash is great, especially right now because interest rates for senior debt to acquire properties have gone up um, exponentially to the yeah. point where they're no longer beneficial for real estate returns. So we're buying them all cash. That's what we use our bridge fund for. And then once our DST investors um, you know, sell out the DST, we return that money to our bridge fund plus the profits. And that's how the bridge investors make their money. So this will go on for a while. Right now, our bridge fund, we've raised you know, just under 10 million. Um, our first DST will come out. We plan on doing maybe two DSTs this year, uh, maybe two next year, but we're gonna build up our platform to doing maybe five to 10 DSTs a year every year, say in the next five years or so. Uh, because it makes a lot of sense for us as real estate professionals. You know, We do ground up development, which is like the trickiest type of real estate investment you can do or one of them um, and buying existing stabilized assets you know right now our first dst is uh industrial properties in texas they have 10-year leases they have built-in rent increases and they have you know credit tenants it's kind of like the no-brainer they're just triple net sometimes right. we call that uh coupon clipping that's exactly you <laughs> want it to be really easy yeah uh, and that's that type of investment, I'm happy going outside of downtown San Jose. I don't need to have, you know, the level of competence that we have here 
in other locations in order to successfully do our due diligence to know that these projects are the right projects for our investors. So other than being served Google ads, where can the Remote Start Nation find you? Uh, you can find us by visiting urbancatalyst.com. Excellent. And I'm sure if they're listening to other podcasts, hear you there. And um, yeah, um, I, Jim, let me say one more thing about Opportunity Zone funds. So yeah. our current fund offering is, is open. It'll be open through the end of next year. And an Opportunity Zone fund, what it does is it allows you to uh, defer paying capital gains taxes. So if you have a capital gains event, you know, like the sale of stock, the sale of real estate, or the sale of a business, you can defer paying capital gains until you have to pay your taxes in 2027 on that event. So say my elevator pitch, you've always wanted to sell the stock in your company. You know, your primary net worth is your house and your stock. You never wanted to take that tax hit. Well, now there are opportunity zone funds that allow you to diversify into real estate while having tax advantages. The first one being you don't have to pay your taxes until 2027. That's great. The second one being after an investor's money seasons in our fund for 10 years, all of the profits from the fund itself are tax free from a federal capital gains perspective. And I'll tell you, people love tax free profits. Thank you for sharing that. And I hope the Remote Start Nation uh, goes and checks you out. Uh, you know, one question before we go, I know it's coming to an end soon here for us. Um, if there's one one bit of advice that you could give to someone starting a business, whether it's in your field or in another field, just getting out and starting a business, what would that be? My advice would be, if you want to start a business, you've known that you wanted to start a business your whole life. You've always known it was going to happen someday. Start it sooner than later, because the only thing that is going to hold you back is time. You can always build your business. It might take 10 years. It might take 20 years. But if you start 20 years later, you don't have as much time as you had in the beginning. That's some serious value. Eric, I, I thank you so much for sharing with us today. And I look forward to uh, potentially having you on back in the future. So with that, Remote Start Nation, I hope you can put some of this value Eric dropped with us today into your life and start something now. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you all for joining me on this journey as I help you to start a business, grow your brand, and create your desired lifestyle. So please remember to leave a comment, subscribe, and share this episode with your community who you think could learn from what you've heard here today. So until next time, go start something, start today, and go build the lifestyle you desire by taking action. Thank you, Remote Start Nation. We'll see you soon. Well, Remote Start Nation, we have come to the end of another episode. This episode was brought to you by our sponsor, Woodward Movement, your go-to for brand identity, branded merchandise, and brand delivery. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, head on over to remotestartpodcast.com or our social channels to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover our fantastic free resources to help you on your journey. And as always, please don't forget to share the Remote Start Podcast with your friends and colleagues you think would enjoy being part of the Remote Start Nation. Until next time.